0: Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. (sighs) Anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee, you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ads are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. Acast Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free, and for a bonus, my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Type Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guest to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They can choose four things that they cherish and would really like to preserve, but they must also choose one thing that they'd like to get rid of from their life, something they'd like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actor and comedian Ed Byrne. Ed's stand-up career began during his college years at Strathclyde University in Glasgow, which led him to quit his studies and start his own comedy club. After moving to London, he quickly established himself as one of the most successful performers on the comedy circuit, with sell-out shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, in the West End of London and major venues all over the world. He has become a permanent fixture on television and radio in the UK and Ireland in such shows as Mock the Week and Have I Got News for You and regular appearances on The Graham Norton Show where he famously had a pie thrust in his face by Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it could happen to any of us. Ed made the TV show Dara and Ed's Big Adventure with his friend and best man, Dara O'Brien, having a number of extraordinary adventures, including sledding down the side of a volcano. Again, it could happen to any of us. He was the host of Ed Burns' Just for Laughs on RTE for four seasons and the voice of the Carphone Warehouse ads for eight years. Again, it could happen to anyone. Why didn't it happen to me? Oh, well, let's find out what Ed Byrne would like to put in his time capsule. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You're a great walker, aren't you? I do. I love a walk. A hill
1: walker yeah. and all that sort of thing. But there's no, there's no hills where, where I live. No. And I find a walk on the flat very boring. So I do try and run. And I used to run a lot more and work out and things. And now I just, since the summer, I just stopped. Yep.
0: And now I've literally just started again this month. I got to the summer and thought, I just, what's the point? Who's ever going to see me again? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, Ed, so we're going to talk about five things you'd like to put into a time capsule. That's the idea of this program. Mm -hmm. So um, do you want to have a go?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very hard to think of a list like this and not just come off incredibly self-involved. then I suppose that's it's. I remember once I was talking to a guy, and he had been talking to a woman who had interviewed me for an Australian newspaper, and she had said he does go on about himself. She was interviewing me. I was the subject of that conversation. Surely that's a useful thing for a person to do when you're interviewing them. So I ever since then I've been very self conscious in interviews. Not to talk about myself too much. <laughs> She's ruined you. She's ruined you for everyone yeah. else. <laughs> but um, the first thing is, is an album, an LP, kids, grabbing the younger demographic straight away with a, a, yeah. an album called The Pick of Billy Connolly, uh. which was uh, back in the day when comedy was, con- which it, it still is to a certain extent in America, more so than here, where you consume comedy... Uh, in audio form mm. and Billy Connolly used to release albums and uh, there was a compilation album called the pick of Billy Connolly and the cover, he was here picking his nose. <laughs> um, and it was, it was bits of, of routines from a number of different albums previous to that. But that album was key to putting me on a path to becoming a comedian myself. But also it was just something I remember from childhood. Mm. Uh, of We all, All of us sitting around listening to it, the whole family, and I can still see right now. I can see my dad wearing a brown woolen jumper, drinking a cup of tea and eating a biscuit and laughing (laughs) at uh, at at, at the routines. Oh, fantastic! And uh, and I just remember it was perfect. It was because what it was. Most of them there were songs, comedy songs, but there was also the thing that he was really famous for, him, particularly in the old days, was he would, he used to basically tell old jokes. Yeah. He would tell an old joke and then throughout the course of the joke would jump off into these observational side alleys. Yeah. Tangents. And that was the original stuff. That was the stuff that Billy Connolly wrote. But he would use an old joke with a with a setup and a rule of three and a punchline as a sort of framework to hang his observations on. And I didn't realise at the time that that's what he was doing, but um, it was a brilliant comedy delivery system. Mm. Yeah, it was just, it was perfect.
0: It's a bit like Dave Allen in a way. Dave mm. Allen would do that same thing of have a, a joke, but in the midst of it, lots of little side jokes.
1: Yeah, but Dave Allen, I, I always seem to remember, even the jokes themselves were, were original jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, they were still his. Yeah. Whereas Billy Connolly, the fact that Billy Connolly came from the folk circuit, like Mike Harding and Jasper Carrot, where the original star of the show was the music and then they could do a bit of chatting in between. Mm-hmm. So they had the safety net of the singing and then it just, the, the chatting just grew and grew and took over. Yeah. It's one of those things that it, in comedy, it's great when a joke grows organically like that with the retelling. You find another another line in it every time you do the joke, you find another little bit you can put on it and that stuff tends to be the funniest stuff as opposed to stuff you sit try and write and go what's funny <laughs> um, and and the, so their entire thing was always this thing of, of of an old joke and that was that so you're safe so if the audience aren't really digging it you just tell that joke and then you tell the next joke mm-hmm. but if' you if it's working and they're enjoying you you put more and more of yourself into it yeah like Mike Harding did it actually did a thing and I've I got to meet him at the BBC Folk Awards a few yeah. years ago because I remember that he did a joke on TV that and he held the record for the longest joke told on TV. <laughs> it was part of his BBC <laughs> series. And he basically told a joke that went on for half an hour. And again, as I say, it was an old joke, but throughout the course of the joke, he would digress with observations and it made the joke half an hour long.
0: Brilliant. I like Mike Harding a lot. Yeah, people forget he's a comedian. Oh, he was really great, really funny comedian. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't do stand-up at all. He doesn't do comedy at all anymore.
1: I I don't know if he even plays that much music. He he used to write for Great Outdoors magazine, and now I think it's fishing. Fishing is what he does now, that's the big thing.
0: (laughs) Do you remember any of the routines? Yeah,
1: there was the one about the two blokes who go to Rome. The Pope joke. Exactly, Uh and they go, what does the Pope drink? He he likes creme de Mon." (laughs) And so well, it gets two pints of that in, <laughs> Yeah. And, and it was it, you know, the joke said that they wake up the next morning. And, cause here's the thing. I remember a priest telling this joke on the altar. Wow. As part of a sermon. as it, you know. So that's how known the joke was, that even a priest, because the joke was uh, waking up feeling absolutely awful and then going, so that's what the Pope drinks. No wonder they carry him around in a chair. That's it. Yeah, you know, mm. and that was joke. But as I say, Billy Connolly stretched that out for like ten minutes because he did a whole thing about the fact that they've woken up and they're covered in puke. Yeah, and then it was a thing of here's a thing, who knows? You're sick. There's always diced carrots in it. <laughs> I have never eaten diced carrots in my life. <laughs> and then there's all well, is there a bloke going around with a pocket of, full of diced carrots following drunk men? <laughs> That's brilliant it, stuff. You know. And, yeah, and I remember it all. And I, and then I, what I used to do is, and I must have been ten years old, and I used to recite these routines then for friends. Half of whom didn't get it. I didn't get half of it. No. But I would just, and I would know it off by heart, and I would even do it in this awful Glaswegian accent that I couldn't do. <laughs> Uh, there was that one there was one about um, football violence it was about a guy who goes to the Rangers Celtic match and it, it, very cleverly he never says whether he was a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan it was just like he goes to the wrong end yeah. and then his team scores and the guys send him off to get get him a Bovro do this thing of like, you go and get you know, the, you know, the other team sports you go and get because they're getting pissed off go and get me a Bovro so he goes and go, but you lie, you run away so leave one of your shoes and he comes back and there's a, a jobby in his shoe. <laughs> and then he goes home with his shoes full of shit. And on his way home, meets a BBC cameraman doing an interview. We're talking about football violence. Do you have any views? Yes, I have. Football violence will never end. Not as long as they are shitting in our shoes. And we are person in their ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> it. Yep. But again, we take ages going on about, you know, the fact, the whole thing about the only time. Scottish people drink bottle. Is at football matches and
0: see. I'm trying to work out if, in fact, he ever stopped that or just became better at disguising it.
1: He did. He abso- no. I, I. I. He doesn't do old jokes anymore. He tells stories and he wonders that it's and it's all the observations now. But as I say, in the, you know, in the earlier days, it was. It, as I say, he would use an old joke as a as a as a framework to hang those observations. on. Right. I think now I'm not really sure why he made the switch. I guess because he just. You can. <laughs>
0: yeah, I saw that program which was sort of his retirement program on ITV where he talked about his career and lots of people talked about him. It was a beautiful mm-hmm. program really moving and he was seemed extraordinarily content on it for a man who was you know, who's very ill and knows he's not yeah. got long to live he, he just seemed mm-hmm. to be very happy with the life he's led
1: I think I'd be
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> if I was him, I reckon if I was looking back at that, I'd be patting myself on the back. Yeah. I've never met him. The closest I got to meet, I, I sat beside his wife, Pamela Stevenson, at the Sony Awards once. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I'm very familiar with her work also, so I was able to chat, but I did <laughs> slip in. a big fan of her husband, yeah. sort of thing. Wow, marvellous. Because we did, we used to listen to his albums, and we used to listen to not, not, it was my brother owned them, but we used to listen to Not the Nine O'Clock News albums and Monty Python albums well, as well. Well, there you
0: are then, yeah. So the whole, the full gamut, really, that's what, that's yeah. what was available. Have You didn't go further back to sort of um, Peter Sellers and things like that?
1: I did. Well, again, my brother used to listen to The Goon Show. I, I'm, maybe I was just a bit too young. I didn't quite get on board with The Goons in the way that I did with Monty Python and not the Nine O'clock News and and Billy Connolly. Well, it's
0: possible that it's not as funny as people remember.
1: That is, I you know, far be it for me <laughs> to start rubbishing a genius like Peter Sellers or Spike Milligan. No. I preferred Spike Milligan's war memoirs. Funnily enough, mm-hmm. you know, Hitler, My Partner's Downfall, and stuff like that. That was that was actually my personal favourite part of Spike Milligan's output was reading those.
0: Yes. Uh, of the people in Land Clock News, when they all went off and made their own television programs, I mean, I did appear mm-hmm. in uh, Alas, Smith & Jones eventually and all those sort of things. But, and I also yeah. did an episode of Mr. Bean. But the person that uh, we got chosen to go along with was Pamela Stevenson in her pilot show for her own spin-off series. And it was the only one that didn't get picked up because <laughs> oh. I, I remarked to
1: her that I even remembered it from the episode of The Professionals she was in. Wow. She played. Yeah, she played a nurse who was a hostage and, and she had a hand grenade down her uniform. <laughs> and at the end of it, really quite to the 70s, but at the end of it, Bodhi has to rip open her uniform and take out the hand grenade and throw it in a bin. Where it blows up and throws himself on top of her. Bless him. And I said, I said it was really weird, and it, it never even occurred to me that it was filmed before *Not the Nine O'Clock News*. Of course, she wouldn't be playing this small part no. as a nurse in an episode of *The Professionals*. But I saw it after I'd seen *Not the Nine O'Clock News* and recognised it. So. Weird career move to make after (laughs) After starring in a comedy show to then just do a bit part as a
0: busty nurse. And then several years later, I saw you playing a small child in a television programme. It was a ridiculous thing to do.
1: Yeah, very odd career trajectory.
0: (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, we are going to take the pick of Billy Connolly and uh, and put it, even though you know it off by heart, Ed, Mm -hmm. we're going to put it in there for you so you can can listen to it any time you like.
1: Thank you. Because, you know, what else? It, it was just that bit rude, but not too rude yeah. so that my parents were all right with me listening to it. You know, the fact that one of the jokes had a punchline. And, you know, it's amazing the burst of thing you get when you bite your own welly. <laughs> it's, you know, that was it was just the right level. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Words like jobby.
1: Yeah. And now my kids know the Welly boot song. Uh, you know, really? if, it was, if it wasn't for your wellies, where
0: would you yeah, be? Yeah. So
1: it's like I've, I've kept it going for another generation. <laughs> Lovely. OK, that's the first item.
0: So what's number two?
1: Number two is definitely the most self-indulgent of my choices. Good, um, and uh, I'm going to put Camden Jonglers into the tank, oh, right, which is a was a comedy club, mm-hmm. and uh, it was where I did my last ever open spot. Uh, you know when you when you're doing five minute slots
0: before you broke, really, as it
1: were. Yeah, and I was it was the last one I had to do. I had done open mic everywhere else, and I was in at all the other clubs. Jonglers is one of those clubs that tends to get was always sort of disparaged by a lot of comedians. I even was listening to this very podcast and Milton Jones was on and was <laughs> somebody like particularly it was notorious for the Christmas shows. They could be really It tended to be the, the club that was you, quite you had to be really quite crowd pleasing. Yeah. And attention grabbing. But the Camden one was always just that little bit better. And it was actually on a good night. It was a great club. I've had some fucking shockers there as well. <laughs> I've gone on to nothing and left to less. But I've also had some amazing gigs there. And for about a year or two years, junglers virtually paid me wages. Mm. But it was the sort of, it was the one that was the hardest one to get into. You ha- it was notorious for you have to do a lot of open spots. You have to do you know, you you'd go down, you do one on a Friday and then another one on a Saturday and, and they keep you coming back and then you do like a weekend of 10 minute spots mm. until finally then you, you were in. And then once you were in, it was, it was, it was, it was good money. So they had quite a, yeah, it was known for you had to sort of jump through hoops to get to be a regular there. Yeah, But on my third five minute slot that I did there, it was like the, the final scene in a film about someone who wants to be a comedian. <laughs> you know it was it was unbelievable you couldn't write us. i had at this stage my five minute my open spot it was about two subjects it was about smoking and it was about drinking and it was really tight there wasn't an ounce of fat on it and it was bam 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 It was kind of it, 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 in the 90s it was invoked to be very sort of in your face quite aggressive fast talking and it, it was all that and it just killed even if I say so myself. (laughs) And I went off and I remember it was Tim Clark was hosting and he really had to calm the audience down for the next act. Brilliant. They actually, I swear this is true, they started chanting, we want Ed, we want Ed. (laughs) I swear that happened. It wasn't a genius fucking routine. It was it was a it was a good routine. It was tight. It was just very very gag heavy. And for that room, that time, for that level of drunk, it just worked a treat. Brilliant. I was in, I was out, and they almost out of badness they wanted. It was an underdog thing, you know. He said, and and he was only an open because a lot of the time. You don't want them to say that you're an open spot before you go on, because no. that can make that can, the audience can turn against you. Mm-hmm. When you leave after five minutes, it can be a surprise. And then like Tim goes, and that was only an open spot. He wasn't even getting paid. So then there's a kind of an underdog thing going on with the crowd. So there's a whole lot of psychology for why they were being as nice as they were. But they did. They started to chant. We want Ed, We want Ed." And then I didn't know this until afterwards. But just at that moment, the owner of the club phoned up about something else. Phone box office was speaking to the manager who was on duty that night and was asking him about something or other. And then just as in passing said, oh, and how did the open spot go? (laughs) And the manager went to the bouncer, open that door. And he opened the door from the foyer into the main room. and, And the manager held the phone up to the audience chanting, we want Ed, we want Ed. Oh, fantastic. And he went that's that's how it went and, and and he said oh i get i guess we better just put him straight on to weekends
0: then i'm sorry but this is it's been written by richard curtis that doesn't it Surely is it exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and I, I mean it was
1: an amazing night and then it was just little things then as well even after the gig you know one of my favorite comics that was, was on there was a, a jeff green yeah who i had seen open for lee evans at my students union mm-hmm. A couple of years previously and prepared him to lee evans and you know really you know was influenced by him and then you know he was there he was on the bill and i went out for a drink with him <laughs> afterwards you know and so that i i just was really finally like i finally cracked the last club i'm a comedian now you know what i mean it was mm. one of those real milestoney moments and then and then to, you know, to find out afterwards that it was quite so cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> it's plumbing just made it even better. Oh. So yeah, that's you know, that's a quite a conceited um, thing to, to put in. No, no, no. When you have a moment like that, you may as well. These it. things
0: don't come along very often. They're worth clinging to.
1: And you have so many open mic spots where you die. Like the first time I did Ball and Banana, which is one of the best clubs on the circuit, I died. I absolutely died on my arse, and they were really nice about it afterwards, I said, because they had another club, an Acton, they said, just come back and do the Acton one, and I showed up to the acting club, and when they introduced me, I I, I didn't show, because I was in the toilet being sick. God. And they had to put me on after the interval, instead of just before, because I was throwing up when I was supposed to be on stage. <laughs> and then, you know, I didn't I, I got away with it, I was a lot croakier than I normally would be. But I just, you know, when you've got experiences like that where things don't go well, it's nice to remember the ones where things went spectacularly well.
0: Mm. People say to actors, oh, I don't know how you do that, how you go on a stage in front of people. But generally, actors go on stage with a lot of other people. They've got backup, as it were. We're in this together. But stand-up comedians, I've never, I still to this day, it really would terrify me.
1: Well, I find acting can be nerve-wracking in that
0: way, though. I've done a few plays
1: and it's more difficult if you make a mistake because it affects other people isn't doesn't it you know if you you mess up somebody else's cue because you got your line wrong or indeed you can look bad because somebody else messed up whereas with comedy you've only got yourself so if you do make a mistake it's very easy to cover it or make a joke about the fact that you made true. a mistake you know true i suppose I it is there's... an attitude
0: to things isn't it i quite like the prospect of things getting fucked up <laughs> Here we are, we're all going to have fun now. Because actually you would have done it lots of times where it, it didn't go wrong. And you're used to it, you know. So you think to yourself, well, we've done that lots of times. Let's see what happens when somebody forgets their lines.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know you have had David Mitchell on. Yes. Yeah. Have you read his autobiography?
0: No, I haven't, no.
1: I actually listened to it on audiobook. And he tells a story about when he and Olivia Coleman used to do theatre in education. mm and there was a bit in this show where he would always he would turn away and then turn back and he would always try and make her laugh because he would turn back and he'd have something would be changed. He'd stick a mustache on or he'd something or, or sometimes he wouldn't even do anything. In fact, he hadn't done anything he would make her laugh. Yeah. And he tells a story about making her a corpse and she she actually pissed herself on stage <laughs> and, and it actually, they left and the, her actual urine was trickling down the rake and into the audience.
0: I know somebody who worked with Judy Dench, and she became hysterical and then ran around the stage. And uh, <laughs> afterwards, she said, why did you run around the stage? She said, I wanted to spread my wee out. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that extraordinary? That's Dame Judy Dench. So, you know, I mean, obviously, Dame Olivia Coleman very soon, but fantastic. Anyway, mm. what I find interesting is that, you know, you've gone from that 90s mode of how to perform it and which was in a way imposed on you that thing of having to bang 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 the gags out mm-hmm. and then you've become much more relaxed as a performer and and it's much more sort of gentle
1: yes it's nice to be quite once you get off the circuit and people are coming to see you particularly rather than just coming to see comedy it, it's, it's easier to i suppose uh, be yourself and you, you can find your voice better i've become a bit more anecdotal, a bit more of a storyteller now than there's that sort of observation. I think I probably age as well. Mm. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have a great back catalogue of of, of tales to tell about my life. And so it was more that's like, I need to tell you about your lives. (laughs) Have you noticed this? Don't you do this when you go out? You know, it was like that. Whereas yeah, now yeah. I have enough stuff, uh, 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 you know, with a f- wife and a family and all this kind of thing. I have to, let me tell you about when I had a hernia. <laughs> and even though really I'm telling you what you should expect when you have a hernia, but I'm I'm, I'm still telling it as what happened to me. Mm. It's nice, actually. I, sometimes you get people who, who have come to see you, who their life experience sort of mirrors yours. Like I did a show sort of a little over 10 years ago where a lot of it was about getting married and then I did a show about, you know, having a kid and then did a show, you know, where where things like having had a hernia, stuff like that and and then, you know, meeting people after the show, it was like the, my routines are mirroring their, like, we got married when we and then we saw you and you were doing stuff about getting married and then you had our kids and then you were doing stuff like that and then he had a hernia, he had a hernia just two years ago and then, you, you know, so... I think you reach a point where you just say, "There's no point in in trying to chase, you know, trying to be cool or maintain a an image with the young folk." No. And just play to your audience and talk about what it's like to wear
0: cardigans. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're doing that, sitting there in your rocking chair, you can look back and enjoy that open mic performance at Jonglers. We we'll put that into the yeah. time capsule for you. Brilliant. Okay, that's number two. What's number three? Okay, it's time for an ad break. We'll be back with Ed Byrne in a flash.
1: Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast.
0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by
1: Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
0: Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Ed Byrne would like to put in his time capsule.
1: Number three is not really about me, finally. Oh, okay. I have a map of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose I could just put the Grand Canyon in, couldn't I? We're not really constrained by reality. No. But I have a map from when I went there on holiday back in 2002. I remember uh, I was a single man. In his 20s and sitting up one night chasing through the station. And the documentary about the first person to, to, to navigate the Grand Canyon in a, in a boat, do the whole thing, the whole Colorado River. Yeah. And I just watched it. It was beautiful. and I went, oh, you know what? I'm going to book myself on a trip. and just I'm going to go. <laughs> and I went upstairs to my computer and I and it was there was an 18 day trip that you could do. And I had to wait 13 months to do it. Wow. I had to book it 13 months in advance and 13 months later I did it. And I just loved it mm. just based on a, on a, on a, spontaneous whim one night. And I think ever since then, I've had a kind of a thing about the outdoors. Whereas I used to do it a bit as a kid, I used to do hill walking and stuff. I think that was the moment where I, cause I, I, even though I did it a bit, I didn't, I never really enjoyed it that much <laughs> as a kid. And then when I went and did this boating trip, And then it turned out on the boating trip that they were the people that they filmed for the documentary I had watched that had inspired me to book the trip in the first place. Oh, wow, how fantastic. And so, yeah, I just got into the outdoors. Was the whole trip 18 days? No, I tell a lie, 16 days. 16 days. 16 day trip, yeah. I was the only one doing 16 days. Most people were just there for a week. And then there was a kind of a changeover of other people came in for the second week. And then there was... A bunch of people at the end who were just doing three days. Mm. So I, I was the only one who was all the way through it. Does that cover the entire length of the river, guys? Yes, through? it goes all the way from, yeah, you get in at a place called Lee's Ferry
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it goes then
0: all the way to um, Lake Mead. Yeah, Lee's Ferry to Lake Mead. So I'm imagining that that trip is, you know, not really a sort of a, a houseboat down the Avon. No, no. no
1: we, we were in boats, they're called dory boats that are basically rowboats. But that have a sort of a cover for for your gear. Yeah. But you're you're just sitting. We did actually at one point we went through a rapid and the woman who was piloting our boat got washed out of the boat. And I, I actually jumped in and, and grabbed the oars and just got us ashore. Mm. And she climbed over as we were as we were doing that. She climbed back over the and,
0: and climbed back into the boat again. It was really exciting. And don't you get a crick in the neck or just looking up? Yeah. And the
1: thing is, you never really get a good view of the Grand Canyon because you're in it. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) You're much better standing on the edge of it to really get the (laughs) magnificence of it. Mm. But it was, was, yeah, it was amazing. And I got a, you know, I ended up obviously doing a routine out of it. I got about 10 minutes out of it (laughs) because a lot of the time, how you mark any experience in your life as a comedian (laughs) is whether or not it, it yielded material. Yeah, it
0: paid itself back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was a a really uh, memorable uh, occasion and and it's definitely the best trip I've been on. But But since then, I've done it's mainly hiking rather than rowing that I've done. And I love a trek. I love a long distance trek. So things like the Oat Route in Switzerland, which goes from Chamonix in France to Zermatt across mountain passes. So it starts at Mont Blanc and ends at the Matterhorn.
0: Oh, wow! have you done that?
1: yeah it's great oh, or there's, wow. there's one the, there's the the kung which is in sweden there's a thing called the Fjallraven classic and again that's depending on how fast you do it it's, it can be a, a three to six day hike we did it in about four days you know we went up the highest mountain in sweden while we were doing it and i love being at a high point and looking and seeing where you're going to be a day from now you know that's it feels like proper adventuring
0: yes it does yeah i, I I have this quandary in my life, is that I really love walking and I love the idea of something like that, but I'm not terribly keen on wilderness. Right. If I was going to do a hike, for example, do you know the actor Robert Bathurst? He was in a great thing called Joking Apart. Joking Apart. It was a very funny series. Yes, he played played a stand-up comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it well as well,
1: didn't he? He did. I wasn't a comedian, yes, when that came out, uh, but I remember thinking...
0: He was. I remember thinking he was like oh, right. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, I'll tell yeah. him that. He'll be dead chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he told me that um, in the summer, when you could travel a bit more, last summer, he was going to walk from his house. He was going to walk from there down to the coast and then get the train back. Nice. He was going to do the entire thing on pathways and bridle paths and not go mm. on the road at all. Yeah. And now that, to me, sounds like a brilliant thing. I love the idea of walking across fields and through woods but the idea of being in the middle of the Nevada desert or something would, right, would yeah. terrify me.
1: Well, I can you know, understand that,
0: yes, because it can be, it can, yeah,
1: it, they, and it can be
0: dangerous. Mm.
1: But there's loads of, well, I mean, I did a series a couple of years ago about a pilgrimage, the Compostela de Santiago, mm. which goes through northern Spain, and... As walking goes, I didn't like it at all. It's everything I go walking to avoid and that there's a lot of people and you a lot of the time are travelling through quite urban areas and mm. you, or you're walking next to roads. But if you're into walking and not into wilderness, something like that is absolutely ideal. Yeah. Although there is a lot of, you know, I don't know how religious you are, there's a lot of religious. <laughs> I'm really not. You know, so Nor am <laughs> no. so I. Didn't feel, no. And people always say, oh, but it's not really that religious. Actually, no, no. Mm. It's, still, it's still, you're pretty much bombarded with it the whole time. But there's a lot of, lot of walks out there that you can do that aren't wildernessy
0: at all. Yeah. Well, I've discovered quite a lot with my grandchildren, I have to say, during this last year or so. There's a great book called
1: Micro Adventures by a guy called Alastair Humphreys. It's just really little things you can do. Mm. And wh- one thing is, for instance, get your bike and get on a train and go a couple of stops and cycle home again. <laughs>
0: you know, That's a it's, brilliant it's, idea.
1: Or a great one is just going different distance radius from your house so walk exactly half a mile north say from your house and then maintain the distance of half a mile from your house and walk around in a circle mm. and you'd be surprised how different that walk will be if you go a quarter mile from your house or three quarters of a mile from your house and and again try and maintain the same distance from your house and just do a circular
0: walk i did exactly that walk yesterday isn't that funny really yeah basically we walked from my house and out and we just basically circumnavigated my town and it was a really really good walk you're in tunbridge wells right I'm in tunbridge wells some very pleasant walks around there yeah right i'm going to try a mile next time
1: and he even suggests things like taking you know a bivy bag you know or a little tent or something like that and do it if you're just that bit further out and camp out oh you know when you're halfway around farmer's field whatever
0: (laughs) you're never more than a mile and a half from home yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay all right well i don't think we need to put the grand canyon itself in there just no exactly just this map will do that inspires you enough that map Mm. so we'll put that in there i would mark that as the start of my career as an outdoors person Mm.
1: lovely all right so we've got two left ed so I've gone for a very large expanse of land this time on 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 item number four. Mm-hmm. It was a toss up between New Zealand or Scotland, and I've gone for Scotland. So if I can put the entirety of Scotland in, is that fair?
0: Yes, it's perfectly fair. It's your time capsule.
1: Well, I didn't. I couldn't really pick between Glasgow or Edinburgh. <laughs> so I put the whole of Scotland in. Glasgow is where I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went to Strathclyde University. And I had an amazing time there and then having dropped out of college and then worked in the students union for a year as the vice president, had an amazing year then and then gave up academia and started a comedy club and started doing comedy before moving to London. But then you've also got Edinburgh where you've got the Fringe Festival, where I also sort of grew up as a comedian and where I basically made my name and also where I met my wife Uh. back in 2003. Dara O'Brien introduced us. When I said, who's the hot girl in the white? <laughs> <laughs> and then that's also where I do my, my favourite place to go hiking. So I do a lot of Monroe bagging, as they call it. So the, the whole shebang uh Scotland has got to be my favourite place in the world. New Zealand being a close second. Does it depend on the time of the year, though? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I don't really like rain particularly, I have to admit. So Scotland does have its drawback in that way. But no, in the summer, it's great. I've been hiking in the in the heat right. in Scotland and I've been hiking in the in the freezing What go- about midges? Do you know what? I find I don't have a problem with DEET, you know, the proper super strength stuff, the stuff that melts plastic. Mm? As long as you don't eat it, I don't put it on me cornflakes or anything like that. <laughs> but I spray that on myself and they tend to leave me alone. Uh, I could, when you really cake yourself in it, you can see the midges come towards you and I go, Oh no, I don't don't think so. Uh, apparently not to have it around your children. It can cause all kinds of terrible growth problems and developmental problems. It's an absolute shit show of a chemical from a health perspective, but I haven't, I haven't had any adverse effects. But i also wearing a midgy net, but it's really more of a thing if you're camping out during the summer mm. when you're just hiking, when you're up high, the wind tends to be blowing. It's really only if you're if the if the air is relatively still mm. and and you're, and you're camping out, yeah. that they really become a problem. And I have had that a couple of times where, you know, there's three or four of us camping and we've all just had to retire to our tents to eat our food mm. and wait for nightfall before we can then come out and. And, and sit together yeah, because yeah. you're just inundated.
0: And I love the fact that actually you've gone for a countryside that you sort of became aware of in your adult life rather than the countryside, the beautiful countryside you grew up in. Yeah, well, I did do a bit of hill walking as a teenager.
1: I was very lucky that we had a, a guy, a teacher called Joe McDermott, who owned an adventure center that he worked in, that he had, that he ran in the, in the summer. Mm. And so we were one of the few schools in Dublin to have a hill walking club. <laughs> so I did a bit of that. But I always remember just doing it because I didn't like football or I didn't like anything. else. So, you mm. know, just doing mm. this to be the thing and never really enjoying it particularly. And I think part of that was just not understanding that you need to eat right and when you should be eating, the, the right stuff to pack, to be comfortable and it's just stuff like that that I'm more aware of now. Mm. I didn't really love it when I was a teenager. Uh, And then I really grew to love it as an older man. When I went to college in Glasgow, I never went hiking
0: that whole time I lived in Glasgow. You very rarely go more than 100 yards from the bar, do you really, as a student? Exactly. But nowadays, I,
1: I was just thinking about it a couple of days ago. There's obviously a lot of things we all miss during this lockdown. But for some reason, the day before yesterday, I got an absolute hankering I like got like a pain in my heart for the fact that i hadn't been up a scottish mountain
0: since september 2019. 2019 yeah yeah yes i know it's very weird isn't it i keep talking about things as if they happened last year and in fact they happened the year before last
1: i was thinking about this i was talking to my wife about it like if you've been doing something say if you're a comedian just as a for instance or a singer or something like that and you've been doing it five years say you started in 2015 yeah do you count this year do you say oh yeah i've been a comedian like in 2021 you say i've been a comedian for six years yeah. or do you say well i've actually only been a comedian for five years because for a year there i couldn't do it do you know what it is like do you say oh i've been in events management for 10 years or do you say well technically nine years Because for a year there, there were no events to
0: manage. I know. I have done some acting in 2020, so enough for me to count it as a year of acting.
1: Yeah. And I've just about,
0: exactly. Yeah, enough.
1: We're probably, we're counting this,
0: right? Yeah, indeed.
1: (laughs) This this counts as part of our professional (laughs) engagement.
0: But I feel really sorry for the, you know, say, for example, like you say, if you're a stand-up comedian and you've been doing it for five years, now you know yourself that at the five-year point, that's where you're thinking, okay, now I'm beginning to get it. Now I understand what I'm doing and I think I'm ready to move on. Something's going to happen. And at that point, it all comes to a dead stop. Yeah. Awful.
1: People like that, people who are just beginning to get momentum. We're obviously discussing this in a certain context. We're aware that there are people who have suffered far worse Consequences of the COVID pandemic. Indeed, I have been able to weather the 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 absolute decimation of my income. I can handle a year off, provided I know that there's still more coming afterwards. But yes, people who are just, especially when it's a lot harder now to get going and make a living as a comedian than it was when I started. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I started in the early '90s, the streets were paved with comedy clubs in London. You could make a living without ever leaving the m25 there was, was a much smaller circuit now anyway and so if somebody's been doing it three four years and we're just getting to a point where they were paying the bills and then to have it stop
0: that's really gonna hurt yes particularly if at that point they thought oh i can absolutely see a, a future for myself here things are starting yeah. to open up okay right i'm going to take on a mortgage uh, we mm-hmm. are going to get married yeah. okay we will have those children Cause, you know. Yeah,
1: or being, you know, or just, or even just turning around to all those people who, are yeah, but you have a fallback. Yeah, what if comedy doesn't work out and all that? Yeah. And it finally, goes, I'm a comedian. I'm a fuck. Co- <laughs> I am. This is my job now. I told you it to would work <laughs> out. And then comes comes on. And goes. No, sorry. Yeah. You actually really do need something to fall back yeah, on. Yeah, mum, dad. Yeah, it's weird. I, I've always felt slightly untouched by things that you know cause problems. Usually I mean, like things like the credit crunch when that happens, mm-hmm. the financial crisis, stuff like that. And I was in an industry that wasn't hugely affected by such things. If anything, during times of recession, people cheer themselves up mm-hmm. by spending on little things while well, they won't buy a new car. They'll instead cheer themselves up with a lipstick or a ticket to a comedy show, that, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it kind of bounces off you. And then this is the one where it's like this is my industry is. It's more on its arse than most. Mm. Life has finally found a way to get to me. It's properly <laughs>
0: gotten to me. You know. Well, at least you can open up your time capsule, if you dare. And put Scotland in. But you can go for a stroll anywhere. Up Fort William, beautiful. Uh, I'm starting to like this
1: time capsule. It's like the Nexus
0: in uh, Star Trek Generations. <laughs> okay, Ed, we've got to the final item, which is something really that you want to reject from your life.
1: I'm going to put something in that was, again, it was a professional misstep. It was the second time ever I did stand up on TV. Mm. So I'm going to put in a show called Midday with Carrie Ann. (laughs) do <laughs> you know i missed it you wouldn't have seen it because it was only on in australia and, uh, and i ha- it's it's a thing i don't i've never i don't really talk about it i've rarely have ever <laughs> talked about it. even when people say well, when have you really died i've only ever talked about dying in a live situation but i did once die in my arse on tv oh. and i've i have checked it's nowhere online <laughs> this is back in 1996 i went out to australia and I was unknown over here. I was unknown in Australia. But this is sort of pre internet days where you could pretend you were well known back home and go <laughs> oh, to another
0: country. I've done it myself.
1: So, I remember going back out to Australia in around about 98, 99, and somebody saying, So, how are things going back in Britain? And I said, Do you know what? They're actually going as well now as I pretended they were, the first time I came out, they're going that <laughs> well, <way. laughs> But I went out, and I, I did generally quite well. I went out to just do a comedy club, a few weeks at the comedy club, and I did a slot. My first ever time doing stand-up on TV, I did a, and it was live, it was an evening show, it was called Hey Hey,
0: it's Saturday. Yeah, I've been on and it. And I did a, are you right? Okay. Yeah. Like, were you a judge on red faces? were you? Well, uh, all I remember about Hey Hey, it's Saturday, is that it also had an evening show. But that was it. It, it started out as a morning show, a kid's
1: show, yeah. like Saturday Superstore or whatever. And then one year, for some reason,
0: they just decided to follow their audience to the evening. It, like Tiz was. They tried to go adult. Yeah. But they succeeded, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. They succeeded. But it was just a weird... They just decided... It, it had been on as a morning show for kids for a long time. And then for some reason, one year, they just went, this is the generation we're just going to stay with. <laughs> and they moved to the evening with them. And so there was a whole generation of Australians who basically grew up with it and continued to watch it.
0: I can't remember the name of the presenter, but uh, he invited us back to his house, and we went back with somebody else who'd been on the show the night before, which was Freddie from Freddie and the Dreamers. Wow! I know.
1: My like that t- first time I was on Hey, hey Saturday, I I got I met John Farnham. Remember, you know the voice. Yeah. you know, the voice. Try and understand it. <laughs> One hit wonder over here, absolute rock legend in Australia. Uh, And I remember we were dressed exactly the same. We were both wearing a a white colorless shirt and a black Nehru jacket. (laughs) Mine was from Topman. His, I'm sure, was far more well made. But anyway, so I did that and that went very well. My first ever time doing stand up on TV with, with Grant. And then a few weeks later, I went to Sydney. It was decided I was now going to stay on in Australia because things had gone quite well. And and I was going to stay on and do the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So I ended up having supposed to be it was supposed to be like a six week maybe a month long trip to Australia became a two and a half months. Great. But the second time I did then stand up on TV was this show called Midday with Carrie Ann. I mean, I remember at the time thinking it was like Pebble Mill at one. It was the afternoon Mm -hmm. magazine chat show thing. And again, it was live and it was because it was the afternoon I had to be even cleaner and more accessible than I had been I was, I was a bit more free and easy with Hey Hey It's Saturday but I was still very new I only had so much material anyway so mm-hmm. I had four minutes left that I hadn't already burned on Hey Hey It's Saturday to then I would do on Midday with Carrie Ann and I said as I went out during the commercial break and I said to the floor manager can you give me a wind up when I've done four minutes let me know <laughs> so don't be looking at your watch on telly no <laughs> And anyway, I did what I planned to do and I looked at the woman and she's just looking back at me and I'm like, <laughs> oh, and I figure I've obviously I've, I've gotten nervous and I've gone too fast. I've burned through four minutes of material in two minutes. This is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So I go, right. I can't just go. Thanks very much. So I go. I start into another routine that I hadn't planned to do. Get about Three quarters away, get a bit, basically get within a hailing distance of the punchline before I realized the punchline is too dirty to do on TV. <laughs> so pull out of that, and then I just floundered. <laughs> and I even ended up doing, I was working with a comedian at the time called Nick Wilty, and I ended up doing one of his jokes,
0: oh, no. which is,
1: yeah, just reaching into my head for anything. I did a, another comedian's joke, and then I I, I can't. It was a. It's a kind of a blur. I then just went. I don't know how long I've done. Like, and then the woman stands up, throws her eyes to heaven, and makes a wind up sign, and I go, "Thanks very much." Turns out I did eight and a half minutes. Oh no! Turns out my four minutes were exactly the four minutes I'd planned. Which she just. I know it's un, maybe unfair to to blame her, mm. but. It ended up being, and I spoke to the booker afterwards, it was the longest, I think it's still the longest stand-up set ever done on daytime television in Australia. <laughs> but four minutes of it was fine. And four minutes of it was death.
0: <laughs> and obviously that's the bit that people are going to remember. The routine started okay. It was He seemed, he seemed yeah. to know what he was doing, but oh my God. Yeah. Just, he was awful.
1: And and just looking back, like I'll even if I had done only two minutes, having agreed to do four, like if I had have cut and gone, oh, thank you very much, good night, and then gone off and then said, oh, you were supposed to do four minutes, that was only three. That still would have been better. Yeah. In going overtime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we've got to cut the sponsored thing with the chef who's supposed to be selling these noodles. <laughs> Plus, no one's laughed for four minutes. <laughs> like, it was the worst thing. And then to add to insult to injury, I don't even know who it was. It was either Tony Collette. The film Muriel's Wedding had just been out. Right. I hadn't seen it yet. But one of the stars of Muriel's Wedding, one of the two female leads, was a guest on the show. Um. I had not met her, which was, I guess. And the booker had said to me just before me going on, said, oh, such and such, you know, from Muriel's Wedding, which I pretended I'd watched, but I hadn't yet. She's going to Ireland next week. She wants to talk to you. She wants to know where she should go. I said, oh, I'd be delighted to talk to her. Came off having died. <laughs> I said, "Anyway, who's does that actress want to talk to me about?" That? And she said, "No, she's gone. She just obviously left, either too awkward to talk to me after, or just couldn't face." Six the side minutes of in, but,
0: apparently. Six minutes in. Yeah, she's went. I've had enough of this. I
1: don't think I can trust his judgment on anything.
0: Get me out of here. Alone, <laughs> where to go to in Dublin? <laughs> oh Ed, yeah. Oh my lord, that sounds so awful. It was one of those things where it, it was just.
1: Inexperienced as well. Like I Mm -hmm. was really green. I would have been 22, 23 Uh, years old. And I only had 25 minutes to stand up to my name. Yeah. And just didn't have the wherewithal. Or the nerve to say, that's it, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. All of it it just was a perfect storm of just having kind of been riding high and really enjoying Australia. And I just came back down to earth with a bump
0: do you think she's still doing those i
1: did go back and do that show and she'd forgotten she clearly did not know i was the same comedian i went back and did it i think it could well have been 10 years later around
0: about i think the last series of the show i think it is it has finally is done and dusted now Um, (laughs) and when they said to you how long do you want to do you said i'd like to do nine minutes please i'm going for the new record (laughs) I can't remember if I even did stand up or if I did that thing of doing your stand up,
1: sitting down and pretending it's an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even remember now. But I do remember I went back and I did redeem
0: myself. But it wasn't really my like proper redemption because they didn't even realize I was the same person. Ah, uh, yes. You'd, <laughs> you'd got away with it. Yeah. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. Nobody will ever mention it again. We should put it into the time capsule and it'll be gone. It's not Thank on you. YouTube. It's nowhere. And that's it. Part of the reason I've
1: only brought myself to talk about it
0: in public is having
1: checked and knowing that that people can't look it up
0: yeah (laughs) you know somebody's going to find it now Ed
1: (laughs) I'm hoping it was taped over it was one of those shows it was on every day for like three hours yeah yeah so you know what I mean I think it's one of those things where I don't even think they would have kept a record of it
0: thank goodness for that touch wood Uh, well there we are Ed we've done it we've put all the things into the time capsule it was really it's been so lovely to talk to you
1: thank you very much And, and thank you for having me
0: You've been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Ed Byrne. If you enjoyed listening, you can subscribe to My Time Capsule with the podcast provider of your choice or with ACAST, our provider of choice, but you're free to go your own way. And if you do subscribe, you have the opportunity to rate this podcast and even leave a review. Imagine the power. You have our fate in your hands. You can make or break us. Anyway, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You just have to search for My TC Pod or me. Just think of it as showing an interest. It's, it's really nothing like stalking. And don't forget that the theme tune by Pastor Bee's music is available to download on Spotify if you'd like to hear it without me aimlessly talking over it. I mean, come on, you've ruined my career with your ratings and reviews. You've stalked me, and now you want to erase me from the whole thing. I'm not even sure I want to tell you that this was a cast off production and that the producer is John Fenton Stevens, but I should imagine if I don't, you'll squeeze it out of me somehow. Troll freak. Honestly, you need help. <laughs> Sorry, I always imagine there's no one actually listening to this bit. <laughs> Bye.